mustache tails. Yeah! Hey, welcome to Mustache Tales podcast with Jay Chattershaker and Hayes MacArthur. Our guest today is the great Ryan Leaf. Hello, Ryan. Ryan, welcome to our fledgling podcast, dude. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think it's fledgling. I feel like I see it everywhere, but I, mean, I follow both of you guys, so maybe that's it because you guys just pump it out on your stuff and I follow you. I think it's great, great content. Oh, thank I love you. It. Thank you. Th- Ida- Thanks, Idaho, Idaho, and Idaho, and uh, and and Cali, you know, coming together. We're, we're, we're coming from two different worlds, and your name keeps coming up. One because I know we all know each other, and then when we had Kevin Conley on the podcast, I know that you set a project with him where you really laid out your entire life and journey. Um, it's called Bust, uh, and you you told your whole story in like a ten episode kind of serialized podcast, which J- uh, Jay and I have talked about a lot, and. For those that you uh, that don't know, Ryan um, has an incredible, inspirational life uh, that we've talked about a lot. He's just started really getting his story out there. He was a former professional football player. I won't comment on him as a golfer. I'll let Jay talk about that. But he's a father, and um, and now he's um, a premier uh, sports commentator. I wanted to start. So Ryan, we start every uh, mustache tales with a little tale. Um, I wanted to maybe talk about how we first met um, when I was uh, at a point in my life. I was actually, I think like maybe I was doing something that I was really excited about a project and it didn't work out. And I felt like I got the rug swept from out under me and I was going through a, a tough time. And I was thinking about just kind of the way expectations um, start and how you think something's going to happen. And then in reality, what really goes down. And I was pumping it out in the gym, like really in one of those kind of getting purging anger modes. And I thought to myself, this was years ago, man, right before I hit you up. I said, what happened to Ryan Leaf? I was like, because we played, we were playing college football at the same time. Um, uh, you were playing division one in the Pac-10 playing in bowl games. I was playing division three in Maine, but you know, we had the same face mask and the like everyone in the country, I was engaged in that conversation of, you know, who's going to be the premier quarterback in the league? This was 98, 99, you or Peyton Manning. And yeah. I think you you phrased this yourself that kind of the, the, the way you guys were juxtaposed was Peyton was the intellectual one and you were the emotional quarterback. I was identifying with you in my late teenage years, in my 20s, because I played the game emotionally as well. Yeah. So I sought you out. I'm going to bring you into this in a second. I just it, it always starts as a run here, but I sought you out and uh, I found you at the Transcend. Um, you had just started um, y- your process of, of service and giving back to people and helping people who um, had faced uh, addiction issues. And we sat down. We had an incredible conversation. We had a series of meetings, and I found myself going up to Montana, um, to Great Falls, Montana, where you're from. Uh, you arranged a meeting with your parents, John and Marsha, who were so kind to accept the meeting. Except, I'll give you what happened there, Jay, because I haven't told you this part. I got up, I spent a couple of days in Great Falls, Montana. I had not been up to that part of the country. I walked around Great Falls. It's a population of about 50,000 people. There's an incredible geological, um, it's a cliff and it's a buffalo jump. Um, and I made the joke to Ryan at the time, it's it's where the the tribes used to run uh, buffalo off this cliff so they would fall and then they would have this giant feast and they would 
they would kill them all. And, and, and instead of like going around individually, pretty sure the fall one, killed them. But the fall killed them, right? <laughs> yeah. and, can't wait. And, I, and for Ryan coming from a small town and the journey that he went on, I was really interested because uh, of, of what type of place Great Falls was, and I was very excited to sit down with his parents. So he gave he gave me a call. It's, I'm supposed to meet with his parents. This was years ago, uh, maybe six or six years ago, um, outside his house, um, outside John and Marsha Leaf's house. I'm about to go in the door to get to know his parents and learn more about Ryan's story. And Ryan gives me a call and he goes, really quick call, by the way. Uh, hey, Hayes, I just talked to my parents. Um, they don't really want to see you, man. Um, it's not going to work out. <laughs> but uh, thanks for thanks for going up there. Um, it's just It's just not something they're into. And I was like, what? And I sat in your driveway, I haven't told you this part, of your house for like a half hour and I'm looking at your house in Montana with your parents there and I'm like, there's no way I'm not going in after all of our conversations and how much you shared with me, there's no way I'm not going in this door and 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 talking to his parents. So I went up to the front door. Hey, and can, your I, mom, can I interrupt for one second? You were, yeah. you were there because you wanted to play Ryan Leaf in the Ryan Leaf story. <laughs> Am I right about that? I was, I was, yes. Okay. I wanted to tell, okay. I, 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 Ryan's story. He wanted to tell the story, but he wanted to play it, yeah. yeah. I, want, I wanted to play it, I wanted to tell it, I wanted to share it, and we'll go into the nuance of, okay. of why I think the story uh, please t- please should tell be me, shared. Please, t- please, tell, please tell me my parents let you in. I don't remember this, by the way. I don't remember this yeah oh so not only did they let me in they were so hospitable and incredible and um i was thinking your mom we started the conversation i was on one side of the room she was on the other and what i realized through the course of the conversation was was this actor coming up to la or this anyone from the outside you had not really publicly started sharing your story yet ryan they had their guard up man yeah yeah and and they thought i was coming to be another, do another hit job on you and your family and say something negative or do some piece. But when I sat with your mom, we're about 10 minutes into the conversation, she switched sides and she sat on the couch next to me and we broke down like your whole shit. <laughs> it was an incredible conversation. And I saw through all the steps of, you know, what your experience like in Great Falls was, what your journey was like, um, being in the public eye. And I left with so much empathy and so much respect for your parents and what they went through. So, yeah, I mean, I can't believe you told me not to go in, Jay. Imagine going all the way up there and <laughs> try to deny me that conversation. I, um, you know, I try to protect them because I feel like I, uh, I think I feel like I hurt them a lot my whole life and when I dragged them through and stuff like that. And give you a, I'll give you a good idea. The day I got out of prison, I would, they came and got me and only two people that would, would, uh, that cared at all about me. No one wanted to be around me. No one wanted. So we get back to the house. I spend the night there. I wake up the next morning and, uh, I grab the newspaper as I sit down at the family, family, uh, kind of nook there to eat breakfast. And I open up the paper and sure enough, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a comic there and it, it's, uh, you know, just a, a caricature of me. And it, the, the line says, lock up your medicine cabinets. Ryan Leaf is out. And that's in my hometown newspaper the day after I get out of prison. And I was just like, 
this is the way it's going to be the rest of my life. This is, uh, how can I, how can I do this? Um, and, uh, so that's the type of thing that we had become accustomed to. And Hey, I get it. You know, I, I understand it, but that's exactly the type of thing we were trying to protect my parents from. And they felt maybe that was the same type of thing. And they probably asked me, Hey, can you, uh, can you, uh, tell this person that we, we don't want to speak with them. And, uh, and that was my approach to it, I guess. I don't remember telling no, you that. No, I could tell because my takeaway was it was the town was, for lack of a better term, bullying your, your family in this yeah. weird way. Because usually when someone achieves some level of notoriety from a small town, especially in, in you know, Montana, never produced a, a first round draft pick, you, you, they would be pedestaled and they would be loved. And, and God, they had the knives out for, for you guys. Yeah, I think that uh, they had always wanted uh, a professional athlete from here. And uh, instead, they got me. And that, that, that bothered them. That bothered them a lot because I was not, I was not like the conservative, you know, Joe Montana, my hero type of thing. My heroes were the Fab Five, you know. I had earrings in. I had my sh- head shaved. I had you know, black socks and shorts down to my, you know, past my knees and stuff. It's just, it's just my generation, that hip hop generation, the early nineties, right? It was, you know, it was NWA and it was Pac and it was Biggie and all that. So that's what, that's what we listened to and Dre. That's just, that's just what it was. And that's what I wanted to be and how I wanted to play. You know, Major Harris was my hero down at West Virginia and Tony Rice at Notre Dame. Those were, those were the guys that I looked up to and stuff like that. So it just wasn't, they got a professional athlete, but they got me, and that was the problem. It sounds like the and way it was uh, like it, Andre Agassi was treated, in a way. Like, yeah. He just wasn't yeah. fitting what tennis wanted him to fit. And the fear uh, uh, around the optics of his hair, that was a big part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. The hair was such a brandable thing, and he started losing it, and the fear around all that stuff. And it was, for the longest time, I just had to try to make everybody believe everything is, I'm this perfect image, this Instagram part of it, but... But I'm not that guy. Like I'm this like incredibly scarred and flawed guy that I just, when I finally was able to let everybody see that and be okay with it, that's when I finally got to really be me, you know. And that just took a lot of heartache, not only for myself but my family and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot from it. But I also learned that you know, uh, the difference about that, however competitive I was, what kind of attitude I had growing up, I was just a kid. These were all right. adults, and uh, um, it would have gone a long way for me when I turned pro if I had came home and 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 just um, forgiven them and let them come on the ride with me. Instead, I doubled it down and was kind of like, "Yeah, fuck you! I told you I was going to do this," you know. And hey. uh, that's that's the way I approached it. Well, I remember going in your high school. They have like an athletic wall of fame. I don't know what it's like now, years later, but your name was not on that wall. And I know basketball was one of your main sports and you were like an all-time leading scorer there. And then all the stuff you did with football. And I'm walking around this high school. I don't recognize any names on these balls. And I, there was a coach in there. I said, where's Ryan's name? He just went, oh yeah, he, he's, he's not on that wall. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know what? And it's, it's all good. Um, you know, we're better without one another, you know, that they're doing fine. I'm doing fine. I don't need to be recognized for, for something, for a place where I, 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 I don't remember a, a, 
an enjoyable moment from from high school. And that's that's a hard thing to admit. I don't remember an enjoyable thing from high school. Maybe winning the state championship as a junior. Um, but that's about it. So, you know, where I'm where I'm in the Hall of Fame is at Washington State. And I'm on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame this year. Uh, it would be pretty special to go in there. And those oh, are the, wow. Those that's are the news. Two, I didn't know yeah. that. That's really incredible. Those are the two places that uh, that I would just absolutely love to to be represented in because uh, it's the most special time and the most special people who were around me. So your relationship with Washington State has has healed then because I remember when you were on the le- lecture circuit, you were going in and talking to teams like Alabama and and corporations and Clemson and, and being an inspirational story to athletes and Washington State wasn't ready to have you back yet, but that's come back around. Well, that, that had a lot to do with Bill Moose, who was the athletic director there at the time. He There was kind of a mandate that, uh, that uh, Ryan uh, can't, cannot or should not be around the program just and I like I said I get it you know I I carry a stigma uh and so uh you know I I understood it I I I didn't I understood it but I didn't understand it I guess but the moment he you know uh he just up and left in the middle of the night one time when when like the budget came back and they were in the red it was just he just up and left and went to Nebraska out of nowhere yeah um and uh the guy they hired was Pat Chun. He came from Florida Atlantic. He had hired Lane Kiffin back uh, after what went down at USC after leaving Tennessee and resurrected his career there. And immediately after getting the job, he flew to Los Angeles, took me out to lunch, um, you know, got to know me, see where I was in my life. And then before I knew it, uh, I I got a call and was told I was being inducted into the uh, Washington State uh, Hall of Fame, and uh, and I remember standing in front of that podium that night, talking to everybody. Being a Washington State Cougar is the one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. Um, and I stood up there and I said, "The player probably deserved to be in here a long time ago, but the man hadn't earned it." And uh, and I think that's why I made it that much that much more special to me because I think they were they were essentially giving it to the guy that I finally grown up and. Um, you know, my wife and my son were there, and that's what more could you want from that? So Pat Shun, Pat Shun deserves a ton of credit for, you know, just wrapping his arms around me. The fan base never left me. They 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 love me to death. Uh, I love them to death. It really just was, I think, probably Bill Moose trying to go out and get you know big donors to donate money to the school, and uh, he didn't need the that Leaf character being dragged along <laughs> well, with that, it. I mean, that was the story that I was trying to tell and it was at the early stages of it you know I think more people are recognizing it but I had felt by sitting with you that you had and your parents that you had made that turn and so it's cool to see you uh you know sharing it on even in a larger stage now yeah it's pretty purposeful I mean the idea of what you thought your life or your dreams would be and that would be playing football on Sundays you know being a millionaire and a star and that's what I'd always thought I dreamed of. And of course you get, you know, when you get hit in the mouth in front of the entire world, a bunch of times, it's all about how you deal with it then. And I yeah. dealt with it really poorly. And, um, what it turns out is that, um, when you make it about other people, your life gets better, which is for a narcissist, that's crazy to think that's actually possible. And so, uh, um, I actually kind of do have that life now. And it doesn't revolve around me playing football. It revolves around me, 
you know, being in, in the lives of my family and in others and, uh, and that builds the foundation. And then I get to do crazy stuff like this, host my own show and call games on weekends. And, you know, that's, that's, it really has become, become the life of my dreams because of what I went through. Do, do you think I've been listening to, to, uh, bust, is it bust or busted? Yeah. Bust. Yeah. Bust. I've been listening to it. I, I've just gotten to the point where, uh, your offensive lineman from, high school shows up as a detective at your house uh to to bust you yeah. for going into into houses right yeah um yeah. i have a couple questions one is do you think that had you been like loved and popular in in grade school and high school do you think you would have react like because you created a lot of enemies in high school right like yeah. do you think you would have had a different go of it i mean do you think it i don't know i mean you know childhood scars are are you know there's a reason why you know shrinks are in offices all over the world right i mean a girl a girl shunned me in uh in high school and i never had a good relationship with a woman again the rest of my life because i didn't trust them and i you know objectified them you know until yeah. i found anna um and yeah you know i got tr i was so resentful of these people um, you know, if I'm, who knows, maybe if I'm beloved, um, that entitlement runs much differently than the entitlement of, of being a star athlete. We saw how it ran rampant after Washington state. When I was told I was the greatest in the world, what that would look like. You never quite know. I will say this, people enabled my behavior for years and years and years. The fact that I didn't like that moment when that former teammate of mine came to question me over, um, some burglaries, um, you know, I talked my way out of that. I got myself into treatment rather into a, than into handcuffs. And uh, I think that was probably a, some enabling behavior on his part because he was just like, I remember this kid, you know, we were teammates. We won a championship together. I don't want to, you know, see him go to prison type of mentality. Yeah. Kind of like how parents do that with you with addicts in their family. They don't realize that they're slowly killing you themselves by enabling your behavior. And what I really should have gotten was a, a swift boot in the ass and a, a handcuffs on my wrist immediately and thrown in prison for as long as, as it, as it would have allowed at the time. But, uh, I mean, it took what it took. We, I, it also took this, in, this cosmic timing of you being at the forefront of the opioid crisis, which now we've come to realize was an epidemic and, you know, th this, the damage that it did to the country. And, and now stories are being told. I, I'm yeah. watching, um, you know, dope sick, with uh, Michael Keaton and then uh, Painkiller, Peter Berg has a new series. Yeah, on, that on one Netflix. was that one was hard to watch, man. I I I was on the road last weekend finishing up, watching Taylor Kitsch, like he does a tremendous job of um, showcasing what it what it means, and, and and it was exactly the same format in which mm -hmm. he went in because he got terribly injured, and a doctor prescribes him this. I have never taken another drug in my life. I smoked dope in Amsterdam because I was in freaking Amsterdam. But I've never touched another drug in my life other than what a doctor has prescribed to me uh, at that point. And so I know exactly what that can become and where you would go, the depths you would go to feed this habit and how it affects your brain. So you're exactly right. This is a timing thing because Purdue is paying out all these um, uh, settlements to states. Now, the states are responsible for distributing that money and 
It has to be done right because guess what? Purdue's not going to stop making OxyContin, right? It's made them billions of dollars. They're not going to stop making it. It works for acute, terrible pain. It's, it's, it's needed. This is not going to go away. So you have to educate and make people understand what it is and what it truly can do. And that's what these states have, have, have had to deal with and have an understanding. I've been doing a lot of work with a bunch of different states. I spent the whole month of January this year with the state of Alabama and met their, uh, met their attorney general. And we really kind of walked through the types of things that are going to be important about transforming their rural areas around this because it became such a problem in the, in the, the poorest of places all over this country. Well, but when it came to you, it wasn't known. And I don't, Jay, do you know the story of the, the, and you shared this, Brian, anything we talk about today, you know, that we can cut whatever. But uh, if you tell Jay that story of when you first, uh, why you first started using uh, oh, the pills Vegas? And, and yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I'd been introduced to opiates uh, after my first surgery uh, and I've had 15 of them from football. And uh, it worked, man. It it took my physical pain away. So it did exactly what it was supposed to do. And um, I had just quit football, and I thought I could just kind of disappear. Uh, and I'm in Vegas for a fight. And in exchange for the nice tickets, you know, they usually announce the celebrities in the audience. And they said, like, Tiger Woods, Charles Barkley, I think Dr. Dre was there. Whole MGM Grand went berserk. And then they announced my name. And the whole place, Jay, just booed and hissed. And it wasn't like I hadn't been booed before. I mean, you play football, you walk into an opposing team stadium, you know, you get booed. But you have armor on. You got the helmet, the shoulder pads, and almost kind of emboldens you to... And then you could go out and compete. And I was really good. So I could kind of shove it in your face. Um, I believe you're a drug addict long before you ever take a drug. I think the behavior is always there. And so my addict brain heard not only are you a, a terrible football player but you are a fucking horrible human being that's what my brain heard and i was going to go to parties after this event and there were hall of famers and super bowl champions uh, where i always felt judged and less than um and i walked into this room and saw an acquaintance of mine and he offered me some vicodin and that was the first night i ever abused it um, like you'd taken it I found before, my right? You'd taken it before. But... I'd taken it before. I'd taken it plenty, plenty before, but this would be the first time I ever abused it. Um, for recreation. I mixed, well, I mess, mess, mixed it with the alcohol I was, I was drinking that night and it did exactly what, it, what I needed it to do uh, and take everything away. None of the judgment, none of the fear, none of the less than I didn't feel any better, but I didn't feel anything. And I think I'd been searching. I think I'd been searching for that feeling, uh, of feeling nothing for, for my whole life. And now I had the answer. And then for the, so that's the night that started it. Eight years of that ultimately until I woke up on a prison cell floor. That was what the next eight years were, was constantly trying to chase that, that feeling of not feeling all that disappointment and failure and guilt and shame and all of that. Is that uh, something, but do you like feeling now? Like, are you, are you not, you're no longer looking for that feeling, right? Or are you, or is it part yeah, of you Yeah, I, I don't, I don't look for, I, w I think a part of, well, my brain, my brain has been irreparably uh, affected by it. And I will give you a perfect example of this. I'm 11, 11 years, three months sober now. Um, I haven't thought about pills at all. I mean, behaviorally, 
old behavior always crops up and you have to address that and things like that. Like the, the, the addiction is a byproduct of the mental health disorder that's at the foundation. But what opiates can do to your brain and how they change the chemistry within 11 and a half years sober, father-in-law comes and visits. He's getting older. He's dealing with some, some, some real issues in terms of, uh, of some handicaps and joints and things like that. And we were sitting at dinner and he just mentions in pa- passing that this doctor had prescribed this medication to him called Norco. And I didn't know what Norco was. I probably should have. I'm an opiate addict. I probably should know what the hell that is. But I like I was in the office later that night, like putting stuff away for work, and I Googled it. And I found out what it was. It was exactly the drug I I love to use. My brain did it. Like I Yeah. It, the impulsive nature of what it does and controls. And what did I start doing? I started like sneaking around the house, figuring out a time I can get to his bedroom because I know that like 11 and a half years sober, and I wasn't following through with the things I needed to, to get me to that place. So when like Dak, like when Dak Shepard came out a couple years ago and talking about after like 16 years of sober sobriety during the pandemic, how he relapsed like that, I thought that was the most, one of the strongest things I'd ever heard from somebody to do that, to say it. Cause you don't want to admit that when you've been lifted up as this guy and and I'm doing it. And my wife, my wife knows me so well now. She already knew that I was acting weird. And I was about to come in the door of his bedroom. My wife comes barreling across the, like the courtyard, opens up the door. And she's like, what are you doing? Wow. <laughs> and she, and she saved my, she saved my life. This was literally three months ago. She like yeah. saved my life because I had no control over what I was about to do. I had zero control over it. Like, I'm not impulsive about anything anymore in my life at all, but it shows, it, it goes to show how irreparable the damage that it caused in my brain, that it, the craving is, is like that. So how did we approach it this time? I, my wife and I talked to my father-in-law. I want him to stay with us. I love him to death. He loves being around his grandson, everything like that. So how can we come up with a solution? I went on Amazon and I ordered an RX safe. It was that simple. Like, we got the thing that 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 is the difference maker. We got him this safe. He has the code and a key with my wife. They lock it up. I hadn't, I didn't think about it again. Didn't even think about it again. Um, but that was the difference this time. We actually communicated about it with my family and everybody. And usually people around addiction, it's so stigmatized. You just keep it in the dark. You know, like if I I, I feel like if I would have told my parents that this happened. Like that, that shame part of everything would spiral back. We're like, please don't let anybody know about this. You know, you would have ruined everything. And, uh, and so, um, we found a positive and healthy, you know, alternative to it, but that is a great example of the effect that it has on my brain still, you know, it's like what Chris Rock says, you're, you're only as good as your options. And you, if that's on the table, you just, you become vulnerable again. It's a constant practice. The the uh, the moment, um, and I don't know if this is folklore or true, but when you were in prison and you had that influential uh, cellmate of yours who asked you to come outside, and was it was it to play in a, a pickup football game? He, he wanted he, he taught he, he told you how because it seems like so on the nose that that's really a moment that made you want to start giving back to some of these that guys. moment that moment didn't that moment. Uh, that moment is actually a shit show because it was like 10 days into prison, literally into my, and this guy walks in and says, we're playing a flag football game outside. Will you 
come be all time quarterback. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm not. And then, then, then I'm just like a little bit, then my ego gets involved a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's, I'll go out and fire it around. And, you know, and sure enough, it was, it was a shit show. I walk out there, you know, looking through razor wire at, at my mountains. I used to grow up fishing and hunting in. And then all of a sudden I start throwing it around a little bit and there's the all, there's more guards out there now and the walkie talkies are going off and they're squawking like, you know, leaves out here throwing, get your ass out here. And it's like the, it's like the longest yard and I'm burnt right. Reynolds just, you know, it, going through this thing and, uh, I'm throwing it around. These guys can't catch shit, man. I mean, it's just bouncing off people and uh, they probably never caught a pass in their life, it's but sure enough, sure enough, I fire one a little bit later, it bounces off a guy's hands bounces into a defender's arm and I just remember thinking in that moment like a fuck of course I fucking throw an interception in prison <laughs> and that's the truth and I walked in afterwards and I was just so embarrassed and humiliated and I was like I'm I was, I was thinking all about me and I'm like never doing anything like this again and that guy that asked me came into my room a little bit later that night and he goes hey man I just want to let you know it was my birthday and it was this was the best best birthday of my life I got to play catch with an NFL quarterback and I was so still caught up in me that I didn't hear what he had to say I didn't hear that I did something for somebody else and it made their life better I still heard about I was still hearing like what an embarrassment I was and everything like that so that was like the that could have been the first part of it now the roommate that I ended up getting the one you referenced who who came along the uh, the Afghan Iraqi war veteran um he got me to go down. He got me to go start going down to the prison library and helping prisoners who didn't know how to read learn how to read. And that's that's where the service part started to play in effect. The last six months I was in prison, um, that that experience playing in that football game uh, stopped me from going outside. The rest of the time I was in prison, I I would uh, uh, I went outside twice the thirty two months I was in prison because of the embarrassment from that. Didn't I, don't, go I, I, didn't, I don't I don't I didn't look as sexy as I do now when I walked out of prison boys you guys should see that that shot it's not it's not a it's not a good one <laughs> <laughs> you know it's the a prison tw- makeover show that's not what changed it around the uh no, I, you didn't go outside bro that's uh that's no unbelievable it's unbelievable no to think D. of how insular you were then and how out there you are now you know talking to people and being in the public I mean it's you know a what I found shift. Uh, uh, you know what I know now, and there's just an acceptance and a surrender to this. Like everybody knows, like remember from eight mile when Eminem's character B rabbit at the end goes up for the battle and he just, he like throws all the shit that he would be made fun of for out there. Yeah. And so when the guy like the Papa doc or whatever guy steps up to the mic, dude has no ammo. There's no ammo. Everybody knows my stuff and I've owned it. And I've told them, so now it doesn't matter. It also has given me a bunch of freedom to be kind of like, you know, you know, say whatever I want to say. And people just are like, yeah, that, that fucking guy's a, a felon, man. Don't don't fuck with him, you know, type of mentality. <laughs> it's been kind of freeing. Yeah. It really has. Well, you're coming from an honest place. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is so foreign because I was the biggest liar my whole life, you know. So the, the, I remember the, like at our engagement party, my brother walked up to uh, Anna and said, hey, what, you know, this is so great. What finally made you... Uh, no, Ryan was the one. And she said, she said this, she said, he's the most honest man I've ever met. And Jeff, who you both know, fell on his ass laughing 
<laughs> like he, cause that's just not how he would identify me as an honest person, you know? Right. And, uh, and so that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool identifier to have now. Uh, I, the question I have, uh, I just want to find out cause I, I'm in episode eight of this podcast. So yep. I assumed that you went to prison for breaking into the houses, uh, uh, you know, out in the rural areas. And is that not, that's not the case. Yeah, it is. It is. I got uh, arrested and charged with burglary, which was stealing so, the pills from the home. So when the guy came and, in, and, and, and when possession. the lineman came in, you said you talked your way out of it, though. Yeah, but uh, I talked my way into a rehab center. And then uh, about uh, a year later, uh, after I had relapsed again, I finally, you know, I finally uh, forced myself into a, a, a prison cell about a year later because of it. You, so yeah, uh, you asked, didn't you ask to go back after you had like a 48 hour. So that retreat? was when, that was what, that was when I got arrested for the final time. I convinced some bondsman about 80, 80 plus days, uh, in isolation there. I convinced some bondsman to, to bond me out. I had no money, uh, but I convinced a guy to bond me out and my dad showed up and my dad was like, you have to take him back. You have to take him back to prison. He doesn't have money to pay the bond. Uh, and the, the, the damn bondsman, like, he probably just assumes, whatever, this dude made millions of dollars. Of course he has got money to pay the bond. I'm bonding him out. Um, and so my dad took me home. And probably the most difficult thing that my parents have ever had to do, the second night I was there, because I was just so probably fearful of where I was going to go, what I was going to do. And I was. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go get as many pills as I can and take off for Mexico and ride it till the wheels fall off. And they asked me, uh, I mean, they asked me if I would go turn myself back in. That had to be the hardest thing my parents have ever had to do. Um, cause I knew how, just how awful jail is yeah. because of, because of what I told them. And, uh, I can't tell you why I did it guys. I'm not that guy. I'm not, altruistic at all especially in that moment um i don't i don't know why i did maybe because the substance had been on my system for 90 days or something like that and i just had a little more perspective i don't i do not know why but i voluntarily went and turned myself or gave up the bond and went back in but and spent the it was for the original act of of going into those houses when when no, I never, I never got charged for that. I started doing it again. It's the only way I knew how to get pills. And you so went I in alone for... and and whatever. You know the funny. Um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I tell, I tell, I tell people all the time. Like, like if you lived in like Great Falls and the surrounding areas of Great Falls, and you, 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 you know, subconsciously feel like someone was someone in my house. I was probably in your house. That's that that small a town. I was probably in your house. Yeah, yeah. You know the funny thing Didn't is, is that is, guy wake up from a nap. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, he didn't wake up. He didn't wake up. He was sleeping there, and I still went through his drawers as he was sleeping right there. That's how how messed up I was. And guess what? He had pills, which turns out maybe it was because he was sleeping there in the middle of the day is because he was sedated from the from his pill wow. habit. And I right. probably made his world incredibly worse when he woke up and found out his bottle of 90 pills next to his bed was gone because I had taken it, and he had made my day. All right. I... I, and the uh, cops asked for a description of who it was, and being out there, it's like describe the guy who breaks into the house. What, what's he look like? And the guy's just like Brian Leaf. 
fucking Ryan like Leaf. Like, you don't need to describe him. Like I, I don't need to describe his ass. He's six foot six. He's got a big forehead and some buck teeth, and he freaking it's Ryan Leaf. You know, my friend's uh, wife, who eventually went into recovery, would come over to my house, and I mean, I I, I was never a pill guy. Like I would get, like I'd go when I get get a gum surgery, and they'd give me two hundred yeah, fucking like pills. everybody. And I was like, yeah, ah, like everybody. I like to drink too much to take pills. I'm like, I don't, I don't remember I took them. I don't. So I'm like, ah, I don't really. So I'd leave them in my thing, and I'd go back into my, and I'd realize, oh, so one of my fucking friends took them, and yeah. I, I kind of guessed who it was, and I left her a note, and I said, I'll, I'll make up a name, uh, Joanna. No, and I left it for her in the thing, and she came up. She goes, What the hell is this supposed to mean? And I'm like, You stole my pills. And she goes, and she did. Um, but you know, the funny yeah, thing she goes, is, how'd you know it was me? You go, I put your name on it. So it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Um, but you know, the, um, the funny thing, Ryan, is that when I first met you, it was, it was, uh, at, at, at a, on a golf course. It was on the golf yeah. course that we both belong to, uh, in LA. And, uh, we started playing together and a guy came up because we played a lot together for a while. Uh, uh, I yeah. did your, <laughs> I remember like you hit a drive, like, I don't know, probably could have been three, three sixty or something, something like that. And I hit mine maybe two fifty, and I'm like, what the fuck is what's going on? And you said, <laughs> well, one of us is a professional athlete and one of us isn't. And I was like, uh, you know that I love being insulted so much. I just it, I, it, from that moment on, I'm like, I love this guy. Uh, and people would come up to me. I remember a guy came up to me and goes, "You you you play with Leaf, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Are you sure you want to do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "I don't know, man. I mean, he goes that dude went to prison." And I'm like, and I I kind of. You know, I, like I, I remember when you guys got drafted, and I kind of remember, but I, I didn't really watch Sports Center religious. I didn't, I didn't know all the details. No, you were trying to make it, man. You, I, I mean, yeah, I you don't real, you don't, you don't realize like the day I finally got a chance to kind of come up and play with you that day, like how big of like a Super Troopers fan I was, and I was kind of geeking out, you know, <laughs> and uh, um, so yeah, I it was there's a little bit of that too, um, for uh, me. So I, I, you were trying to, you were doing your thing. Yeah, you know, I'm not a and so that's funny that people came up to you and, well, and said that. Well, the guy like, told me a story about how you went to prison. And he goes, he and two of his degenerate Montana friends got handguns and broke into people's houses and were stealing their narcotics. And I'm like, really? That's interesting. And I never looked it up. I just kept playing golf with you. I'm like, where are you? Because know? you were in recovery. And I'm like, he's clearly... There's redemption. I mean, I remember you lost your um, sobriety chip, and we went back to the second hole on North, and we fucking looking around, and we found it. And uh, I was yeah. like, it's, you know. And so up until this moment right here, in That's my what you mind, thought. I'm like, he broke into a house armed with two other dudes, and I'm like, God, that must have been terrifying for the homeowner. And I mean that didn't even happen. But it, what it speaks to is is something. Oh, a girl, a girl, a girl. I tried to date uh, post prison. Uh, her boss told her that too. Like when we, she's like on the phone before we went out on a second date. Her she's like, my boss told me you tied a family up uh, in the house so you could go through their medicine cabinets. Right, right, right. And I'm like, you can Google, you can Google my name, and it 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 
it will tell you the truth, yeah. right? I mean, there's some, but but yeah, I was like, you know, it's just it's just how it was, man. I, I'm and, more surprised that Jay, you thought that that happened, and you were you're so excited to talk to him, <laughs> like that wasn't a deterrent. <laughs> Uh, he's like this. You he's still like this, talking this about what a great guy he is. Yeah, <laughs> this motherfucker is gonna break into my house and, and pistol whip me and take my drugs, like my friend Joanne here. All right, <laughs> like that's I, what you thought, Jay, and you're like, when's the next tea time, Ryan? We yeah, gotta get back I mean, out there again. You know, I the, you know, he's such a good golfer that he was giving me tips, uh, and I'm like, I'm getting better here, and uh, you know, that's in the, the past. past. I, the I past. think, I think what I think what you found out too about me, Jay, is how much golf means to me. Yeah. Like, like having told you that I, I went outside twice in thirty-two months while I was in prison. Like being outdoors, yeah. and fellowshipping with with a with with some guys. Like that yeah. just that was foreign yeah. to me, and it it meant a lot to be able to do that and find somebody who really liked to play golf as much as I did. And you were a busy guy, but we still found time for to 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 do that with one another. I think that's what that's what brought Connolly and I together. That's how we met. Yeah. Um, and we built something really special with it. We produced this thing that has helped a ton of people. And and I feel that way about you. You've really you've mentored my little brother who's in the field acting so yes. like in which you've guided him in the, in a direction where he actually produced and sold his last movie. Yeah. And he 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 credits you a ton for that. Oh. And I introduced you guys there too. Yeah. So I mean I mean you just meet good people and you the thing about golf too is Hayes, it, it, you spend five hours with somebody immediately. I mean, you're good, and, and you see how whether or not they cheat, you know, whether they're all off in the rough and kind of kicking something or doing something like that. Um, you learn about their character pretty quick. You're not going to play with with assholes. You're just not going to. No. You want to spend five hours with good people, and so I think that's what's made this friendship stick. And then we both found out we're we're diehard Cubs fans, and then then the life was it, it was tied in knots. Then after that, <laughs> that's right. That's Despite right. the fact that Jay at the time thought that you had busted in with guns and tied a family right, up. Right, right. He like, didn't I realize don't... until just now that didn't happen. Well, still I, like the dude. I was waiting so, for this. Great. I'm like, oh boy, the guns are coming out in this podcast. And I and I haven't been able to get to the end. So I'm like, oh. But, you know, you know, it, 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 the funny thing about that. Did you, hey, you've, got, you've gotten the, did you get to the part where I got, where I got arrested at the border? Yes. And that's, that's the thing Ooh. is that. Is that you had committed the crime in in uh, Amarillo, and then you yeah. went to Canada and got clean, and you're like, yeah. well, and then you're being you're being prosecuted. I've for been the crime. Uh, I went I went to prison uh, or I I went to rehab three times, so yeah. I relapsed twice. So it's not it's not a prerequisite for getting clean. It happens a lot. It's a matter of whether you get back up. So there's more to the story and it gets worse usually as it goes on. And that was the, you know, that storyline is, is just so out of there because I've never really had any law interaction with law enforcement. And here I'm crossing the border and I look behind me and there's a SWAT team with machine guns like telling me to get out of the car. It was one of the most frightening things I've ever experienced in my life. And, um, but, but it, it's a hell of a story. I know that. So it is, but <laughs> it, you know, you, the way you talk about it, you're like, you know, I did it so long ago. I mean, I mean, whatever, X number of months ago. And so then the news comes oh, yeah. out that you were arrested at the border and you're like, that's not, that's not what I was going to turn myself in. But we yeah, all and everybody get the thinks news. it happened again. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 And that's, yeah. that's the interesting thing about this kind of infamy is that people are expecting this story to keep going like that. 
And they hear that like, well, yeah, what are you going to do? He's a fugitive. Wow. Well, I mean, like my best thinking in my life took me to a prison cell. So like I don't make proper choices and decisions. I need help, a lot of help with that. And yeah. so that's what the last 11 years have been has just been relying on others to really carry me. And I'm so incredibly grateful. You you guys are two of those guys that have carried me without maybe even knowing it uh, in times that I probably needed it, especially early in my sobriety when Hayes was really thought my story would be impactful to others. And I think that that drew our friendship. I remember when Anna and I came out to the, the beach and had dinner with you and Allie. Uh, you know, I remember that. Those are really special, special moments for me and, and my family and stuff like that. So this is pretty cool. I loved when yeah, I saw it was this. right when you I, were. I loved when I saw this podcasting pop up and I'm like, is he going to do like mush, like like mustache ride comments? I don't know what's going to be, what's going to go on? I don't know. <laughs> so knowing now when you go in and you share with younger athletes, and I know you do it across the different, and I, by the way, I can't wait to talk to you about the current college football landscape and, and all the changes that have gone on there. But when you go in and talk to to guys that are are in this atmosphere now, feeling the same heat and attention that you felt before people were getting paid, right. for, what what's the main thing that you share with them that you want to impart uh, from your talk and your time with them? I usually, you know, I, I usually come in and, and kind of break it down on what the data is in terms of their chances to make the NFL, right? It's, it's, it's really... Uh, minuscule, you know. They'll I'll be in a room full of 130 guys. Uh, this year I was at Duke, Missouri, A&M, Montana State, and Oklahoma. Those are the five. I usually pick five schools every year in August to do that with. And I remember looking at the Missouri guys this last trip, and I I tell two guys in the audience to stand up, and two guys stand up, and I go, "That's how many of you will will make it to the NFL." And then I tell one of the guys to sit down. And I say, that's the only one that will play past the vested average length of 2.8 years. And that brings into focus pretty quickly that this is just not data. This is the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. It's probably like, to your guys' point, it's, uh, what are the odds of making it in Hollywood? Zero. It's, a, it's probably probably <laughs> very equivalent, right? Yes. Zero. Yes. And so I, I tell them that. I tell them that, hey, I was exactly where you guys were 25 years ago. I was sitting in that chair ready for my next season, and I was about, but I had probably a much better situation. I was about to be the second pick in the NFL draft. And uh, their ears perk up, and they'll listen. And then I start talking about choices, consequences, controlling what you can control, um, staying out of the result, breaking the things down that we do when it comes to football. Practice, practice, practice. So when the biggest moment happens, you're ready to make the right, right choice, the right decision in that moment. And so it's really about that. Nick Saban was the first coach to bring me in at Alabama. Couldn't have been a better referral because every coach in the country wants to emulate Nick Saban. So therefore, you know, my my dance card's full every August. And I love it because I also am a broadcaster. And when I walk into their offices after I have come and spent three days with their team and spoke with them and got to know them differently and things like that, when I walk in to do the game and broadcast it, they're more open with me. They trust me. They know I'm not going to to burn them on air and things like that. And and it makes for makes it a much easier a uh, way to do my job uh, as a broadcaster, and that's that's all because of me sharing my story. Period. Just oh. just being honest about it. It's just impossible to think. At, for I can only speak for myself and some of the guys that I was around that you're not invincible when you're 18, 19 year old, dude. <laughs> you think you, you just, are? You just you think, think you are. That you are. You could do no wrong. It, it's 
and especially if you're playing at such a high level of football and you have a national spotlight on you, what what would make you think otherwise? Other than someone coming in who's been there and saying, hey, guys, <laughs> I know this story. I know how it turns out. And that's where I've been a little conflicted because at the beginning when college athletes started getting paid, I was, I thought for sure when I look at the revenue share, the revenue that the league, the college football was bringing in and the television contracts and how hard it is to be a student athlete. And I said, yeah, these guys should get paid. Now I'm a little conflicted because they can transfer so easily. So what's to make you hang with adversity? If you've got a coach who's on your ass, busting your chops or a guy you want to beat out, but you're not, maybe you'll beat him out next year. Maybe there'll be an injury. You don't know, but you're already out the door. Nothing makes you stick in the box. It's 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 the wild wild west. It really is. I'm all for athlete empowerment, for whatever that looks like. Whether they're getting paid for their name, image, and likeness, or their ability to transfer. Uh, but I I'm also with you. If if the transfer portal would have existed when I was in college, uh, where you could have just walked into the compliance office and say, put my name in the portal, I would have been gone after my freshman year at Washington State because I got into it really good with a couple offensive linemen. I walked into my head coach's office and I was like yelling and I said, I'm out of here. But you know. We had a kind of come to Jesus conversation. Now they just can walk into the compliance office, not say one word to the coach, no one, and their friends or anything. Just walk in and say, put me in the portal. Name goes in the portal. If you're a good enough player, somebody's going to find you, reach out to you, and you're going to think that you're going to go through the whole recruiting process again. You're going to feel wooed and loved. Right. And uh, if I wouldn't have, if I didn't have to go through that adversity, we'd have never gone, and I would never had a chance to go to the Rose Bowl and be who I was. So it benefited me. Um, I'm also of the mindset knowing how hard it is to make it the NFL. And if you have an opportunity to go play one more year of college football somewhere so you can experience that, then by all means, I want that to happen. So um, I think it's just a lot to do with with the fear of the unknown. We don't know what this ultimately looks like. There has to be some sort of re- regulation around the NIL aspect of things because of how the, the money is being funneled to the players and why it's, it's, not, it's, it's more of pay for play. We clearly know that. And that's not what this rule was designated for. But since the NCAA flubbed it so badly because they lost in court and they just were like, the hell with it, you guys have this. Um, there's been no regulation and it's been kind of the wild, wild west. And we've seen coaches upset about it uh, and some disinterested and some like Lane Kiffin, who I spoke to the other day talking about how, you know, we know that this is, we're not going to be able to build our culture at our program anymore. This is more about team building year to year because we may have a completely different roster next year a la right. what what coach prime has done at colorado in his first year already and he's had success with it well i think about it in terms of how it affects the team but also look at the fan base now with the conferences <laughs> being so dispersed where you've got these west coast states playing games you know on the other side of the country the whole point of going to a college with a great team was that you know maybe you took a four-hour road trip to go see them play an away game but it was part of the culture and spirit of the school. These games would all be kind of close. And now, what do you, you, you're in Oregon. You're going to drive to Indiana for for games. It's, well, how it's about not this the one? same. How about SC going to Rutgers on a like a Thursday night game or something like that? I mean, it's they 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 are they do not care about the student athlete. They don't. This is about presidents of the university sitting in front of a spreadsheet making this decision. And this was inevitable. Um, the realignment part, you know, don't get used to it. It's going to disappear in the next couple of years because there's going to be a uh, a national collegiate football league uh, with two conferences, probably with about 18 to 22 teams. Uh, the teams that can't 
Uh, it's going to be outside the NCAA. It's going to be ruled by a czar. They're going to, you know, get a huge media rights deal to to put this out, similar to the NFL. Um, but they're going to be college students. It's going to be odd and weird, and I don't know how it's going to work. But that's where we're headed. And uh, you, your alma mater, mine, in particular, uh, you know, most likely will be relegated, like they're being relegated right now. Pac-12 no longer exists, guys. Right. And for the first time ever. Eight of the top 25 teams in the country right now are out of the Pac-12. How could you not get a meteorite deal with eight of the 12, eight, eight out of the teams out of those 12 that are the best in the country at this time? It's just, it's, it's absolutely stupid and it shows uh, how bad uh, the commissioners of the Pac-12 uh, and the people at the top, uh, how they let everybody down. So you see it becoming nationalized conferences, not regional kind of no. because they don't mean anything anymore. Well, I think that I think when you when you separate the two conferences, when it's the National Collegiate Football League, there'll be two conferences, one of eight, 18 to twenty two teams, in the other side, and I, I would assume they're an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, and you, you know, you know, divide the country right in half, and all the teams to the West play in the Western Conference, all the teams to the East play in the Eastern Conference, and then you have a playoff system similar to what they have now, and twelve, maybe sixteen teams at that point. Um, they're going to try to build it like the NFL, sort of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's ultimately where it's at. Um, um, it's where the most money is, is, is going to be made. And that's what, if the presidents can find a way to make more money, get more enrollments because of the university's football program, then that's what they're going to do. And that's why I talk about them just sitting in front of a spreadsheet in a, in a conference room making these decisions. It's it. I, 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 agree with that insight it's just such a shame because what is. is football other than regional rivalries when you could have a dog shit season but if you win your one game at the end of the year and knock off that team that's right next door it makes your whole season you know yeah, i know that it's feeling a, yeah i know that yeah, feeling washington state about. washington state will probably never play uh um washington again because of it so crazy so what we really need to talk about, Jay, is that I, you were you were uh, writing the script for the uh, kind of the, the the throwback medieval uh, comedy film, and you were like, "I got a great, you know, I, I probably got a great part for you. We could be this axe murdering yielding guy. We'll get you, we'll have you do a cameo." And I was just like telling my friends and stuff like that. I might, you know, I might get to go be in it. And then then I saw like all this publicity about it coming out. And I'm just like, quasi. What Whoa. the fuck, man? I have to tell you, I I I, I I'm sorry, I. Fucking forgot. <laughs> I flat out forgot. Well, of course you could have been. We could have put you in a big suit of arms with a big axe and, you know. Yeah. Who would have I done thought it was that? Kirby. I was just chopped somebody's head off and just like drank its blood and been like. Yeah. yeah. You got to understand. I it, love that Jay would have. Uh, Jay offered that when he thought that you helped people at gunpoint. Jay was still probably. Ready to he's offer like, a I don't role. know. I don't. I, he's like, he's like, I don't know if I want to like like trigger some old uh, uh <laughs> yeah. old memories for him here uh or anything like that. I, I think I, I think I tried to pitch myself one time to Jay when we were like we're putting out on a hole one time and I I thought about the Neil Patrick Harris uh cameo in uh uh, uh the White Castle yeah Harold yeah. Kumar go to White Castle and how it's just this over exaggeration uh of this craziness of the guy yeah. I said what you need to do is you need right. to make this company like, do super troopers again right. and I get brought in to talk to all your guys about staying drug free and doing all this stuff. And then like behind the scenes, I'm just in the back, like with, with, with the, all, all your other troopers, just like, you know, smoking up and like doing lines and hanging with the strippers and going to the Canada and hanging with the Mounties, all the fun stuff, Rob Lowe, you know, that's, yeah. that's, and then Jay's like, 
I don't know if that'd be great for your brand, though. And I know I mean, <laughs> he's probably right. He's I remember right. that conversation. And I remember, yeah. I, I just never want to be part of somebody's um, relapse. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hate yeah. to be. I asked, I, I, I asked, I asked. But uh, their Rob... kickoff, you're there for, Jay. Oh, well, right I, I, asked Rob, <laughs> I asked Robert Downey Jr. about that one time, about, you know, like going and doing films where you have to portray being drunk and high yeah. and things like that. And what, you know, he said, what a better way to tap into it. But yeah, you, you, you protect yourself around it. You know, I don't, I don't think about it anymore. It's not something that that's, that's, uh, on my mind. What I don't ever want to happen again is like the, like the, the ego and the entitlement piece. Like, and maybe if you put me in a movie and I get my, you know, my ego gets up or something like that. And I'm like acting, and behaving like a little piece of shit, like I wasn't when I was 21. You know that I, I've I've found that I've I've surrounded myself with the right people to keep me grounded, and it's been pretty cool to to meet other, I guess what you would say celebrities in in, in California when I lived there, especially ones that live a sober life and are humble, that but they are still famous. That was important to me. I started going to this one meeting where there was just. Um, these the famous people in there. I just could any at any time I'd walk in and think that I was special or something. I like I go, no, I'm not special at all. Yeah. I'm not special at all. Right. And right. to see them live these sober, humble lives, or to meet individuals like yourselves that have had great success and are public people who are good people, like they're kind and they care about you, and that's pretty cool because you don't meet those types of people anywhere. And after the pandemic, for whatever reason, it seems like it's gotten worse from that aspect of things. That people really like caring about you yeah i mean you know the 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 thing about acting uh believe it or not is that those of us who have uh you know like hayes like we we try to get into character and we try to like put a little bit of that if it's an addict just put a little bit of that attitude you know even when you're off screen you're just trying to push it a little bit and just you know so uh, it, it can get very seductive it can get very seductive that sort of um becoming another you know I remember pretending. Uh, do you guys know Justin Hartley at all? I don't. So he was on the biggest, you know, TV show in America there for about like four or five years called This Is Us. Oh yeah. And and he played this uh, you know, model, actor, um which was which which isn't far fetched if you ever know Justin. He's like maybe the most beautiful person you've ever met in your life. In, incredibly kind by the way he asked me one day uh, if I would come into the writer's room with him his character in year two was about to go off the deep end uh, and I sat in the writer's room with them you know as they were writing the season and then you know they thanked me and it was it, it was what it was or whatever you know sitting with you Hayes and hearing something like that and how are you going to portray it and dude went out and killed it I mean he called me one night uh and said the episode, this one episode is going to air where, you know, and what's funny is he ends up on like going back to his high school for uh, his high school reunion where he's supposed to be this big star. Uh, and he ends up on the football field, like, uh, like just crying, uh, you know, and, and, and just numbed out, um, like screaming to the, the cosmos, somebody help me. Like he couldn't tell anybody else. He could just you could, yeah. you just did that and was hoping that somebody would help me. And I thought it was incredibly powerful. And, uh, and that's what really kind of started me. It was essentially my story 
told through this character. Yeah. And then it get, that gave me more of an idea of what I wanted to do because I knew that there was going to be, with the reach of that, millions of people watched that show. There was going to be hundreds of thousands of people that watched that and saw him and saw him go through that and, and, and get the help through that process. Yeah. That they were going to, they were going to do it themselves. And that's what really spurred me on to start telling my story publicly so that, um, and the way my, the way my, my mentor tells me, he says, you can't, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. What he means is I can't keep this peaceful, unchaotic life if I don't give mine away. Uh-huh. And that's where it's, that's where, that's where, if that's you, where it was spurred unless from. Unless you admit it. Like you go yep. out there and talk honestly about it. And that's by giving it away. That's yeah. what he meant. Yeah. You give it away by talking about it to anybody or anybody that wants to listen or needs it. And you get to keep that peaceful uncada life. That's the price. Right. The price of what you get to have now is to rip the bandaid off. Uh, you know, I think we did 35 speeches last year, 35 times last year. You know, I mean, right. the funny thing about truth I, is that it's, you find that people are really, really gravitate towards the truth. Like they're really turned, I'm really turned on when I hear the truth. And my dad, I sort of, I talk about my dad. Uh, he, you know, because he's seen all my movies. And, you know, early on, he's like, I don't feel that is a very good film. You know, uh, and actually, he says film, because that's how they say it in India. Film. Uh, and um, <laughs> I'm like, because the guy doesn't lie. He's just like, and he goes, you know me, I'm, when you hear it's good, it's because I think it's it's good. Good. And he goes, and yeah. when I when I tell you the other, that's, and he goes, so you'll always know I'm telling the truth. And so I've always, even in show business, which is like a, 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 a business of, of, of deceit and lies and trickery, I try very hard to just say what I actually think. And it takes me off the hook. Like I'm never wondering, oh, what did I say to this guy? I'm just like, here's what I actually think. And I know how your feelings, how you feel about it, but here's a way to improve yourself. And this is my honest opinion. And that's it. And it frees me. It fucking frees me. But I, you know, when you talk about the truth, I'm like, yeah, it turns me on. I, uh, I don't watch any other, I don't watch any other sports cast. Like I don't watch ESPN. I don't watch the herd. I yeah. don't watch, I don't watch anything else. I do this for a living every day. And I want my, whatever they are. I don't want them to be influenced by somebody else's take about something or it's just, it's my honest as a former player uh, analysis on it. That's all it is. And I, and I don't care what you think about it. I don't care if you think it's right or if you think it's wrong or whatever. It's how I feel about it. And I'm going to tell you, cause that's the job I'm getting paid for and what to do. And, and that's what, I think that's what makes me, you know, is so good at it. Uh, and I didn't think I'd ever be good at this. I mean, I listened to myself 10 years ago speaking and I didn't think I feel like I could articulate anything well enough to, you know, describe it in the, in the best way. So, well, you, you've done that. Um, the with, show is with called with the straight stuff line. You talked right? about. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the straight line yeah. with Ryan Leaf. It, it works around the, you know, sports betting aspect of things. And I wanted a way to, so we talk about lines a lot. So I, I thought, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow part of it. You know, I, I don't gamble myself. I'm, I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I just play one on TV, you know, 
You've actually, also been incredibly honest about the CTE concussion uh, stuff that happens with the league. Well, at the same time, being a fan of football and analyzing it, you know, those yeah. two conversations can take place at the same time. Like this is a documented thing that's happening and needs to be recognized and talked about in as part of the conversation at both the NFL and college football. Like there's not a lot of people that are able to do that. You know, they literally. Yeah. I, don't, yeah, yeah I mean, the, like, like the, I don't think the NFL, I mean, I don't think the NFL likes me at all, you know, which is ironic because somehow I, I, I got a job working on Good Morning Football across the street here too, during, you know, which is on the NFL Network. Um, yeah, I, 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 I tell the truth when when they when they do something good or do something right, and I'll tell them when when they don't because, you know, too many of my brothers. There's only twenty seven thousand of us who've ever played in the NFL. Can you believe that in a hundred years, there's only twenty seven thousand. Wow. And, and they're and they're and they're dying, they're dying, at young age alone, in a hotel room because this brain uh, disease has infiltrated, and I don't like the way they. We know it's violent. It's not like it it it, it, it just sounds so silly to hear the words come out of Roger Goodell's mouth because I'm like you're lying, everybody knows you're lying. And we all know the NFL is bulletproof, so it doesn't matter. You can tell us the truth. Like I guarantee you, twenty-seven thousand of us who played the game probably would make the same decision. If you knew about it and didn't say anything, that's on you. If you did and told us, I probably make the same decision. I love football; it gave me everything. I think it's one of the greatest sports in the world. I think it gives people uh, leadership qualities, skills, fellowship, all those things that go into it. I just know. Uh, you can make it safer, uh, and if you can't, at least the kids know it, and they can make that decision. And they're they're so fearful of losing the billions and billions of dollars that they print, because if they admit to it, the kids' parents will have them stop playing football at an early age. Before you know it, that 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 pipeline of players to the NFL will will become obsolete. And I go, it won't, it won't. It's just like if you decriminalize, uh, you know, drugs. Uh, and uh, make it legal. You know, people aren't going to be lined up around a Walgreens to go in and pick up the Vicodin. You know, not everybody's like me. You know, it's just, it's not like that. So um, I just want, I, I would just rather have the truth. It's like my son, you know, I certainly don't want him to play football. I've had a brain tumor. I have probably living with CTE, dealt with emotional, psychological, uh, um, substance abuse problems uh, that probably, um, you know, resulted from it or, or caused by it. So the so furthest thing I want is my son to play, but we're going to give him all the information and then he can make that decision when he's, uh, when he gets to high school, you know, by that time, sure. who knows what football will look like, yeah. but also, you know, he may not, he told me the other day, he said, I don't want to play football dad. I said, okay. And he's like, it's like, I don't want to get hit. And I go, well, well, that's good. That's good. You know, sure. most people don't want to get hit, bud. Isn't he a really big kid? Yeah. He's going to be a monster. He's going to be like six, nine. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah, it's good to let them arrive at those decisions on them on their own, you yep. know, so they could it'll help them ha- it'll he help knows, them keep going if they want. He knows, to. like he knows what daddy did. Uh, he knows everything too, pretty much. Like he he hears everything. We were we were driving the other day, and uh, we had a, like a school buddy of his in the back with his dad, and his school buddy points out a a cop car drove by, and. And MacGyver, who's my son, kind of goes, looks over at his friends like, my dad doesn't like the police. <laughs> and they look at, they kind of look at him and he's like, and he's like, why? And he's like, because they took him to jail. 
And I turned around and looked at him. And I said, how did you know that? He's like, I heard you say it. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, yeah, he's probably been in the room when I've been speaking at something or something like that. And I said, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, so dad, that's right, right? You don't like the police. I said, you know what? Yeah, I don't like the police. And, uh, um, and <laughs> the poor little kid, poor dad, poor dad sitting yeah. next to him. like, oh, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this information now? You know? And, um, but yeah, he, he knows everything. Um, we try to tell him everything and show him everything. And, you know, the, I, I just feel like I was put in the dark so much when I was a kid and right. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give him all the light I can and understand that, that, you know, ultimately it's going to be his choice. Uh, I just want to have all the information. My wife, uh, is, uh, she also doesn't like the police. Um, and she's like this really hot, like skinny brunette and she just drives around like a fucking race car driver maniac and she's yeah. like the fucking cops are fucking pulling me over and i'm like and she tries to indoctrinate our children against the police and i happen to love the police because not only because i made a movie about the police but the police have always been super respectful to me even before i made these damn movies and so i'm hey, trying man, to they saved my life i'm trying to counter my program life, my so. children i'm like you know the police you know they really who's gonna come get the bad guys you know if ryan leaf comes in your house with a gun and a couple of buddies with gun yeah sure. who's yeah. gonna fucking you know. fuck him up so you know? i'm for sure, police sure. <laughs> hey jay they, jay they showed up that night when i w had been asking for help for so long the sheriff's department yeah. and they, they they're the ones that saved my life so yeah. i'm the same way it's just funny to, it's yeah. just funny to the way my son sees it that you know because like because they arrested you oh same point. My wife got pulled over for speeding in our new little, you know, Connecticut community the other day, and it's a small community. And apparently, it's already known that I'm in, I'm, you know, living in the in the community. And he lets her off with a warning, um, and he walks away by the car. And, and my son, uh, when my wife rolls up the window, my son goes, "Hey!" And she's like, "What?" He's like, "Why didn't they take you to jail, mom?" And uh, and he just, you know, I think he just assumes like the police now take everybody to jail, mm -hmm. you know, that's what, right. and so, you know, we'll have to, again, we'll have to, you know, he'll learn as he gets older, but I think, I think it's kind of funny too, just to, well, they, you mentioned it. And this goes back to that first conversation that we started with, with your parents, your dad told me that when he heard those sirens outside your house to come, to come get you, he knew it was his only option. And he said something to the effect that it sounded like you know, the sirens of like angels coming, or it was like some type of rescue cavalry that was coming to do something for his son that he couldn't do himself. Wow. It's a powerful. great family, man. I, yeah, your whole, your whole story is incredible. And, and you sharing it, I think is it, you, you keyed in on it. It's the, it's really what keeps it going and probably hopefully gives back to you as much as you help other people. It does. It's, it's, uh, it's given me a ton of purpose. I know that. Um, like I'll, yeah. I mean, I'll just have such. I'll, I'll have such a. Uh, I'll be. It'll be just be my story. Will be, I don't know how to put it. What's it? My life will just be so much more impactful. Uh, because I'm like everybody else. You know, I'm this flawed human being who's trying to be better every day. I think that. That makes it uh, more relatable, and uh, and that fills me with purpose and makes me a better dad. It makes me a better partner um and hopefully like a, a better person to work with i think that's one of the more proudest things i i've walked away from since i got back into the workforce the last you know 10 years because i I'm, I'm sure people who work with me in the rest of my life 
were just like, that dude is awful. And when I want, I just want people to walk away from it. Like, I'd love to work with that guy again. Would love to. Yeah. Love to go play golf with that guy again. Love to, you know? Yeah. That's, 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 that's meaningful to me because, um, I think people actually get to know who I really am. It's not, I'm not, not trying to be phony at all. Um, I don't feel like I have anything to lose really because I should be dead. That's a gunslinger, Jay. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, thanks buddy. We really appreciate you coming on. I mean, that was incredible. I miss you guys. Yeah. Yeah, So do we. So do we. Uh, um, so if you get back East, uh, at all, um, the, the, the California dollar goes a lot further out here. Uh-huh. And so we have a little bit of a bigger house and as a little guest place for well, where right. you and the family can, can hang whenever nice. you guys come, just let me know. Just give me a holler. I would love that. That's fantastic. All right. All right Thanks buddy. Ryan. Great Thank to you. see you, man. All right. Bye now. Good to see you boys too. Thank you very much. Mustache tails. Yeah.